Welcome to Introduction to Genital Urinary Radiology, Part 1. I'm Dr. Dan Koval from RadiologistHQ.com. So in Part 1, I'm going to talk about normal imaging anatomy from the adrenal glands to the scrotum. Part 2, I'll discuss renal and bladder calculi and then give you a basic overview of renal mass evaluation. And for Part 3, I'll review some highlights from CT urography, talk about bladder and urethral diverticula, and give a basic overview of scrotal pathology. You'll notice that gynecologic and prostate imaging is not included on this overview. I'm planning on covering that in a separate lecture series. All right, so let's start with some normal anatomy. Starting from the top, the right adrenal gland is located immediately posterior to the inferior vena cava. That's a great landmark to find it. It's superior to the upper pole of the right kidney and typically has a triangular inverted Y or V-shaped lambdoid configuration. The left adrenal gland, on the other hand, you'll find posterior to the pancreas. Uh, and that will be intermedial to the upper pole of the left kidney. And it has a similar shape as the right adrenal gland. Now what about this case? What do you notice? Well, the right adrenal gland has a normal adreniform configuration and is normally positioned immediately posterior to the inferior vena cava, just anterior to the kidney. But the left adrenal gland has a linear configuration, and we don't even see the left kidney. Well, if we move inferior into the lower abdomen, you can see the kidney is malpositioned and ectopic in location and uh, was never in the left renal fossa during normal development. So it turns out the kidney has to be present within the left renal fossa, or right for that matter, for the adrenal glands to have a normal adrenoform configuration. Otherwise, if the kidney is congenitally absent or ectopic, you'll have a linearly shaped adrenal gland. And that can help you differentiate uh, if a patient's had an nephrectomy or if they have congenital absence of the kidney. Now in this case, you can see there's a ovoid hypoechoic mass in the right upper quadrant, posterior to the liver and where the adrenal gland should be. However, we don't normally see the adrenal glands on ultrasound, so this is abnormal. The patient went on to have a CT scan, and you can see there's an ovoid, well-circumscribed but somewhat heterogeneous mass just posterior to the inferior vena cava. And on a follow-up MRI a few months later, this mass had resolved and there's a normal adrenal gland. So this is typical for adrenal hemorrhage that uh, often will just spontaneously resolve and leave a normal adrenal gland. Alternatively, you might have an adrenal gland with a few calcifications left behind or a pseudocyst. All right, so speaking of ultrasound, let's go over a few definitions. So when you hear the term anechoic, that implies that you're dealing with simple fluid, and that will typically look black on ultrasound, as in this case, this is a simple ovarian cyst. And when sound waves hit simple fluid, they tend to speed up, and you'll get this phenomenon known as increased through transmission, or also known as posterior acoustic enhancement. And that just means you're getting a brightening of the tissues immediately posterior to or behind the lesion. Now what about this case? This is a dark mass in the testis. It's not quite dark enough to call um, anechoic, and for this we would use the term hypoechoic. Hypoechoic abnormalities on ultrasound typically refer to solid lesions. In this case, you can see that there's a mass which was an adenomatoid tumor of the epididymis, which has the same echogenicity of the adjacent testicle. And that terminology we would use isoechoic. Finally, in this case, you have a mass that's brighter than the adjacent structures. We would use the term either hyperechoic or echogenic, and this was an angiomyolipoma of the kidney. So the kidneys on ultrasound have a fairly characteristic appearance. 
The contour is typically smooth. You might see some slight uh, lobulations in the setting of persistent fetal lobulation, which is an anatomic variant, but the contour is usually fairly regular. The cortical echogenicity should be equal to or only slightly less than the adjacent liver and significantly less than the spleen. And usually you don't see the collecting systems. You might see some slight fullness, but they should not be dilated. Here's an example of that persistent fetal lobulation. You can see the renal contour is undulating as opposed to smooth, but the renal parenchymal thickness is normal. That's how you know you're not dealing with scarring. And this is a coronal reformatted CT image. So what do you think about this case? Does the renal parenchyma look like it's similar in echogenicity to the liver? No, it's, it's quite a bit more echogenic than the liver. And those hypoechoic areas you see within the renal parenchyma correspond to the uh, renal medullary pyramids, which you normally don't see so conspicuously in adults. So when we see this appearance, it's typical for medical renal disease. And this patient had chronic renal failure. Medical renal disease is a nonspecific term that could refer to multiple renal abnormalities, such as like chronic glomerulonephritis, uh, diabetes mellitus. Here's another patient where the renal parenchymal echogenicity is, is markedly brighter than the adjacent liver. And this was a patient who also had medical renal disease due to lupus nephritis. Another cause for very echogenic kidneys might be HIV nephropathy. All right, now what do you notice in this case? Well, you're seeing the collecting system, which you normally don't see. So this is a patient with hydronephrosis. And notice how all the calyces connect, and that's how you can determine that this is truly hydronephrosis and not just parapelvic cysts. Here's a normal for comparison. Notice how the collecting system isn't really even visible. So the bladder and ultrasound will typically have smooth, thin walls, an anechoic lumen, which again you know is due to simple fluid. And because it's simple fluid, you're seeing some posterior acoustic enhancement there behind it. And then you won't see an intraluminal mass normally. That's something you would look for because that could indicate transitional cell carcinoma or other tumor. It could be a stone or a blood clot. In this case, you can see the walls are very irregular and thick, and that's due to chronic partial outlet obstruction causing trabeculation of the wall related to benign prostatic hypertrophy. This patient had a prostate volume of nearly 70 cc's. So why don't we review some uh, CT definitions? So when something's darker than the surrounding structures, instead of saying hypoechoic on CT, we would state that it was hypodense. As in this case, this is a simple renal cyst. If something has the same density as an adjacent structure, we would describe it as isodense. And if something is brighter than adjacent structures, we would describe it as hyperdense, as in this case, this is a hemorrhagic cyst in the setting of autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. And the term enhancement implies that something becomes hyperdense after administration of intravenous contrast. So in that case, it's usually a organ or a uh, solid tumor. So speaking of contrast, why don't we discuss the different phases of renal contrast enhancement that we see on CT. And this also applies to MRI. So on this initial image, this is a non-contrast image. And a clue to help you determine what kind of phase you're looking at is to initially look at the aorta. And you can see here the aorta is dark, so you know that there's no intravascular contrast. On this phase, this is the cortical medullary phase that typically occurs 35 to 40 seconds after injection of intravenous contrast. And around that time, you also get a late hepatic arterial phase, pancreatic parenchymal phase, uh, enteric phase, and then the arsiform enhancement phase of the spleen is typically seen in that during that time period. The next phase would be the nephrographic phase, which is usually 90 to 100 seconds. 
And then finally, the excretory phase, once contrast has started being excreted into the collecting systems, typically begins around three minutes and then starts to taper off around 15 minutes. So how does that look on coronal reformatted images? Well, this shows the anatomy quite nicely. So again, there's our cortical medullary phase. And you can see the difference between the cortex and the medullary pyramids. The nephrographic phase, when the kidney more uniformly enhances, and you can also see there's a little hypodense mass there in the left kidney that becomes more conspicuous. And then finally, the excretory phase, once contrast has started to be excreted. And based on this, you can tell that the nephrographic phase is the, the most ideal phase to evaluate for renal mass. And you can see that that lesion is somewhat inconspicuous on the cortical medullary phase. So let's talk a bit about the anatomy here. So the subdivisions of the kidney, you have the cortex, which is superficial, and the medulla, which is deep. So the nephrons, which are the urine-producing functional structures of the kidneys, span both the cortex and the medulla. And the initial filtering portions of the nephron are the renal corpuscles. Those are located in the cortex. So where is the cortex? That's out here. And then in between these dark areas, which are the renal pyramids, you have the renal columns. So the renal cortex and columns all enhance quite briskly in the cortical medullary phase. All right, so the renal medulla is made up of these conical subdivisions known as renal pyramids. So those are the dark areas that you see on the cortical medullary phase. And they are actually pyramidal in shape. They have a broad base that faces the cortex and an apex which points internally. And that apex is known as the papilla. So these pyramids appear striped because they're formed by straight parallel segments of nephrons. And you'll see that kind of physiologic papillary blush on the excretory phase as contrast is concentrated in the cortex and extends into these parallel segments of nephrons. From there, the papilla of each pyramid will empty the urine into a minor calyx, which then joins a major calyx and then flows into the renal pelvis and ureter. And then just one other important piece of anatomy to note on these images, this little area of cupping of the minor calyx around the papilla is known as the uh, renal fornix. And that's the area that may uh, rupture. You may have fornicial rupture in the setting of uh, renal obstruction. That's the way the kidney can decompress itself through a back valve. Now the bladder on CT will have a thin uniform wall, just like on ultrasound, and you won't see any intraluminal filling defects normally. So no blood clots, stones, or masses. Now you can see on the non-contrast CT, the uniform hypodense appearance of urine and then on the excretory phase CT, you can see contrast excreted, travels into the ureters, and then empties into the bladder and should appear fairly homogeneous. Now, ultrasound is the modality of choice for evaluating the scrotum. The scrotal structures are very superficial, which allows us to use a linear probe. Linear probes have higher frequency, which, although gives you decreased depth of penetration, has much higher resolution. So it's also good for thyroid ultrasound. So the adult testis is typically ovoid, measures up to about 5 centimeters, will be slightly echogenic and homogeneous. And when we add color Doppler flow, which will give you a direction of blood flow, the uh, flow should be fairly symmetric. And you can see in this image, the uh, red and blue flow indicates direction of flow towards or away from the transducer, respectively. This structure is adjacent to the testis. And this is the epididymis. So it will typically be posterior lateral to the testis up to about seven centimeters in length and will usually be iso to slightly hyperechoic to the normal testis. But it won't have the same vascularity. Usually it will be equal or slightly diminished. And the epididymal head is the largest part of the epididymis. The body and the tail 
wrap around the testis and are not usually as clearly delineated. Now, here's another normal structure to be aware of. You can see this wedge-shaped echogenic focus within the periphery of the testis, and this is the testicular mediastinum. So this is the site where all the seminiferous tubules will converge to form the reedy testes. And it tends to be peripherally located and hyperechoic. And it will connect to the epididymal head via the efferent ductules. And don't worry if you can't see them because they're not visible. Now here's another example of a normal mediastinum there on the left-hand image. On the right-hand image, we have a different patient with what looks like a cystic mass replacing the testicle. What's going on there? When we add color Doppler flow, you can see there's no convincing evidence of flow within this cystic lesion. And this is typical for tubular ectasia of the reedy testes. So what happens in this phenomenon is you get a cluster of numerous small cystic structures replacing the mediastinum. It's usually bilateral and asymptomatic. It's a benign condition often associated with spermatoceles and intratesticular cysts. And it's thought to be related from partial or complete obliteration of the efferent ducts. You may see it in patients who've had prior vasectomy. The main thing is to not confuse this with uh, testicular neoplasm. All right, so that's it for part one. I hope you come back for part two, where I'll talk about renal and bladder calculi and give you a basic uh, instruction on renal mass evaluation. Thank you.